The Haitian Revolution transformed French Saint-Domingue, the most productive European colony of its day, into an independent state run by former slaves and the descendants of slaves. It produced the world's first examples of wholesale emancipation in a major slave-owning society, of colonial representation in a metropolitan assembly, and of full racial equality in a European colony. It occurred when the Atlantic slave trade was at its peak, and when slavery was an accepted institution from Canada to Chile. The slave revolt that between 1791 and 1793 laid waste to the immensely wealthy colony was probably the largest and sole fully successful one there's ever been. Of all American struggles for colonial independence, the Haitian Revolution involved the greatest degree of mass mobilization. It brought the greatest degree of social and economic change. In an age of tumultuous events and world war, it seized international attention with images of apocalyptic destruction and of a new world in the making. So it raises a series of fundamental questions. What is the relationship between the Caribbean, the Caribbean, France, and Africa? How exactly do those histories intersect? To what degree are those histories interconnected and similar? CLR James called Toussaint and his fellow leaders black Jacobins, that is, uh, insisting on their essential similarity with the French revolutionaries on the mainland. And to what degree are these histories separate and distinct? As we've seen already, Saint-Domingue was the most dynamic, most profitable colony in the Americas, accounting for about half of the sugar and half of the coffee produced in the world. Altogether, France's Caribbean colonies had about as many African slaves as the new United States, that is, about 700,000 slaves. In Saint-Domingue, roughly half of that total, uh, so in Saint-Domingue there were somewhere between 450,000 and 500,000 slaves, and about half of them had been born in Africa in 1789. Uh, and that proportion of African-born slaves had been increasing. The number of free coloreds, uh, had been increasing too. So there were roughly 30,000 free people of color in Saint-Domingue in 1789, roughly as many, uh, so 30,000 is roughly the same number uh, as, as there were of, of whites. Uh, so both the free coloreds and whites are vastly outnumbered um, by the slave population. Uh, so you know, for, for clarity, I'd like to divide up this very complex narrative of the Haitian Revolution into a handful of periods uh, to help you sort through all this complexity. Uh, you know, each of these you know, periods certainly can be broken down into, uh, you know, into different components, uh, but I would distinguish between a first phase, which ran from 1789 to August 1791, it's dominated by a conflict between the planters and especially the poorer, relatively poorer planters of the coffee and indigo plantations uh, on the one hand, who are fighting for what they considered home rule, opposing the royal officials 
uh, and uh, you know, colonial rule from France. That is, they wanted the planters wanted to control the island themselves, and and they were at loggerheads with the free black population uh, that opposed racial discrimination, um, but did not oppose slavery. Remember that you know a significant proportion of the free black population was very wealthy, and in fact, they owned roughly thirty percent of the slaves in Saint Domingue. Um, so you know they wanted equality for all property uh, property holders, but they were not looking to overturn slavery. Okay, so this first phase of the the Haitian Revolution, uh, you know, comes to an end in August 1791 when the slave population rises up, led by the slave drivers and elite within the slave population. Um, uh, and they burned down the plantations, especially in the northern plain with the wealthiest, the biggest, and most productive sugar plantations. Um, so you know, in the midst of the conflict between free blacks and planters, there's a, sh a fundamental shift where slave drivers decide to make common cause with, with field hands. Now, it's critical to keep in mind that when the slave uprising broke out in August of 1791, and indeed for years, at least a few years afterwards, the slave generals and the organizers, because uh, this was a very organized rebellion, did not demand general emancipation. And the first black generals, the first former slave generals, like Jean-Francois uh, and um, Toussaint Louverture, uh, they sought emancipation for their followers, but not necessarily for all slaves, at least not at first, right? This was a fluid moving uh, situation. Um, and and you know, there comes you know, another turning point for a, sort of a third phase, which I would mark in 1793 or 1794, um, when you had both Spanish and British occupations uh, of Haiti on the one hand, and you also have um, the French Revolutionary Commissioner, uh, a man named Santonax, uh, you know, declares general emancipation. That is, so he declares that for the Haitian slaves who fight for France, they will be freed. Uh, and at that point, Toussaint, who had made an alliance with the Spanish, uh, you know, in 1791-92, switches, uh, you know, his allegiance to the French in, in 1794. Right? And so uh, the, the final phase uh, of my three is the longest. It runs roughly a decade uh, and is, uh, you know, characterized by the consolidation of, of Toussaint's rule. Okay, so uh, you know, let, let me backtrack, having given you a, sort of a quick overview uh, of the periodization uh, of the revolution and and point you know, in that sort of early phase, uh, you know, if I go back to, to 1789 and talk for a second about the plantation owners, the planters in Saint-Domingue, I think were broadly similar uh, to the planta plantation owners in the American South. Uh, you know, they wanted liberty for themselves. 
um, but not liberty for all property owners. They wanted to exclude the free blacks or the free colored population. Uh, they certainly did not want to uh, overturn slavery. Slavery was the, the backbone of their livelihood, um, but they were not so committed to France. That is, they thought that the French mainland officials were taking too much of the wealth that they produced, uh, and they were open to trading uh, with uh, with Great Britain, whether or, or, or with Spain, so you know, they could trade with the American colonies or the United States. They would be happy to trade with Cuba. Oftentimes, this would be uh, you know, a better deal for the Saint-Domingue planters than having to go through France uh, and pay the French middlemen all of the time. And so they they were especially upset with what's known as the exclusive. Right. And the exclusive meant that Saint-Domingue planters had to trade exclusively with the French mainland. It was the backbone of the economic doctrine known as mercantilism. Right. Mercantilism uh, you know, is an economic doctrine that views the economy as being a fixed pie. Uh, and so if one country gains, they view another country as losing. And that's why the French insisted that their planters trade with them uh, to take all as much wealth from the New World as possible into French coffers, right? The, the British behaved uh, the same way, right? This is in opposition to notions of capitalism or free trade that argues that everyone will be better off uh, if there is more trade. Okay, so the, you know, the the planters were fighting against mercantilism, against the exclusive, uh, and and they at least in Saint Domingue were, were fighting uh, in, in particular against the free colored population they were trying to exclude. In Paris during the Revolution, the planters organized in a group known as the Club Massillac. Those free coloreds. Uh, went, you know, many of the leaders went to Paris um, and they found support among the French revolutionaries with one group in particular known as the uh, Société des Amis des Noirs, that is the Society for the Friends of Blacks, uh, who were on some issues even more radical than the free coloreds in Saint-Domingue because the, you know, those French revolutionaries sought the abolition of slavery itself. Uh, they thought the institution itself was corrupt uh, and inhuman. And so there was often uh, a tension uh, between them. But you know, among the French revolutionaries, this society was very much in the minority. Like most of the leaders of the French Revolution in this early period, 1789 to 1791, were property owners. They defended the rights of property owners. The Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen, uh, when it created the rights of citizen, it insisted that people own property. Right? This was uh, you know, a view shared by the free coloreds uh, of Saint-Domingue, um, uh, and it marked them you know, apart from most of the anti-slavery advocates. Um, okay. The free coloreds were led by Julien Raymond and Vincent Auger, uh, and they were able to win some concessions from the revolutionary government in Paris, but the planters simply ignored it. 
they refused to enforce it. And before that fight could really develop back in Saint-Domingue, both groups found themselves confronted with a massive, unprecedented slave uprising, which broke out on the night of 21-22 August 1791. Uh, you know, black slaves massacred their masters. They set fire to plantation buildings, um, and there were separate rebellions in other parts of the the colony. Now, these re re revolts were you know, it was quite violent. It was very destructive, but it did not immediately uh, you know displace or overthrow the white colonial masters. Right, the whites held on to the major port cities. Uh, confident that French troops would come to put down the re rebellions. Now, it, you know, as I mentioned earlier, and I need to emphasize, the leaders of the slave insurrection did not demand the total abolition of slavery. Instead, they negotiated for, for freedom for themselves and for their families, and they proposed initially a system under which slaves would work three days a week for themselves, and three days a week for their masters. Right? Again, the, uh, as always, the whites uh, of Saint-Domingue remained intransigent. Um, now, by the fall of 1792, uh, you know, there were French troops that succeeded in regaining control of uh, most of the island. But the, the French and the whites in the colony were increasingly divided amongst themselves about the French Revolution. Uh, in France, King Louis XVI was overthrown in August of 1792. French historians often talk about it as the Second Revolution. And there was a new, much more radical assembly called the National Convention that came to power. And so when this news made it to Saint-Domingue, it split the white population. The radical revolutionaries in France sent a commissioner named Sontenax to take charge of the island but when he got there, most whites refused to obey him. So Sultanax turned uh, to support from the free coloreds, insisting that they should have the same rights as whites. In June of 1793, white forces opposed to the revolution uh, and opposed to the granting of the rights to people of color tried to seize control of the island's main city, which was Cap Francais in the north. Outnumbered, Sultanax made an unprecedented move. Well, unprecedented, certainly a radical move. He called on the black insurrectionaries to attack the city, and he promised them that slaves who fought on the side of revolution would be freed. Right? I would make an analogy between Sultan X here and Abraham Lincoln in the Emancipation Proclamation, who promised freedom to slaves in the Confederacy who supported him. Right, so this declaration enabled Sontenac to defeat the whites, now, even though Cap Francais was burned to the ground in the fighting. Uh, Sontenac you know, extends this abolition de uh, decree to cover the entire slave population. Um, so the leaders of the Black Revolt that began in 1791, they didn't really trust Sontenac, and they certainly didn't trust the French. They were afraid that the National Convention, radical though it might be, might not support Sontenac's emancipation decree. The white planters were also still very much still there, very much still fighting. 
some of those planters encouraged the British and Spanish to send forces to Saint-Domingue, which they did. Um, the National Convention did, in fact, eventually uh, side with Sontanax. They realized uh, that the white colonist deputies had misled them. And on February 4, 1794, the convention abolished slavery. Right? It was the first European colony officially to outlaw slavery in all of its colonies. A black and mixed race deputy from Saint-Domingue, uh, or you know, several of them, were seated in the convention, which was another first in European history. Um, now, this was not entirely an idealistic proposition. Right? The British had captured uh, the French colony of Martinique. Uh, they were about to take over Guadeloupe. Uh, you know, the Spanish occupied the you know, north of Saint-Domingue. Uh, you know, this, this was, on, on the one hand, a radical move. It was at the same time a desperate move on the part of the French who saw power slipping away. You know, it's worth pointing out that the French did not extend this abolition decree uh, to its colonies in the Indian Ocean. Um, okay, so since the, the beginning of the slave insurrection of 1791, several black generals had emerged as leaders, uh, and most of them had allied with France's enemies, England and Spain. Right, some of them actually sold slaves to the Spanish to raise money for their troops. Uh, and even the news of the French Emancipation Proclamation did not persuade most of those generals to change sides. Right? But you know, certainly the most famous of the exceptions, the most famous of the uh, Haitian generals to change sides, uh, was a man named Toussaint de Preda. Uh, who began to call himself uh, Toussaint l'ouverture, so Toussaint opening the way. Uh, Toussaint had, you know, had originally been a slave. He was freed you know, well before the revolution, uh, and at one point himself owned a small plantation with 15 slaves of his own. Now, he does not seem to have been among the earliest supporters of the 1791 uprising, but he did join it soon afterwards, and he quickly emerged as one of the most imposing uh, military leaders um, with real political skills. And by 1794, he had built up the best organized, the most effective military unit on the island. So when he joined Sultanax uh, and the French Republicans in May of 1794, the military balance soon shifted in their favor. Historians disagree about what Toussaint was aiming at during these years. Some of them think he already intended to create an independent country. Others think he was hoping for an arrangement where Saint-Domingue would remain a French colony, but would have a government of its own chosen by all of its citizens, regardless of race. Toussaint knew that as revolutionary fervor in France died down, there would inevitably be politicians who called for the restoration of slavery in the colonies, and he had no intent of letting that happen. Um, but he needed French support against the British, and so he played a complicated game, keeping his real goals unclear. Now, we know he certainly hoped to restore Saint-Domingue's economy, 
you know, although he assured the black population that there would be no return to slavery, he insisted that most former slaves had to return to their plantations and they had to, to resume field work. They would now be paid, they would have more free time, but they were still not free to leave or to become independent farmers on their own land. Toussaint needed the income from large plantations to support his army, to ensure their loyalty or to ensure the loyalty of his officers, he gave many of them large estates. Toussaint thus began to create a black-dominated society, but one with a large gap between the ruling elite and the mass of the population. He made a point of including some people of mixed race and even some whites in his ruling elite, but he did not allow them any meaningful independent authority. In 1799, 1800, he fought a bloody war against the remaining leaders of the mixed-race group who had taken control of much of the West and the South of Saint-Domingue during earlier fighting. And in 1801, he crushed a rebellion by one of his closest followers, Moise, who had favored dividing land more evenly and more equitably among the former slaves. In that same year, Napoleon, who had taken over in France, negotiated a peace with the British uh, and then turned his attention back to Haiti, to Saint-Domingue, where you know, he sought to overturn em emancipation and to reclaim Saint-Domingue as, uh, um, as a French colony. But Napoleon's efforts succeeded in Martinique, where slavery had never been abolished, uh, and in Guadeloupe, where it was restored with a great deal of bloodshed in 1802. The French military expedition to Saint-Domingue, commanded by General Leclerc, arrived in early 1802. Now, surprisingly, at first, Toussaint did not immediately call for all-out resistance. Right. The French managed to occupy the island's major port cities, and Toussaint's leading military commanders, especially his top lieutenant, General Dessalines, went over. Uh, you know, they went over to the French. Uh, Toussaint himself withdrew to his to his plantation, and the next year, in 1802, the French arrested him. They shipped him back to France, where he died in prison in miserable conditions uh, in 1803. So while Toussaint and his leading generals submitted to the French, the, the former slave population did not. Right? By the fall of 1802, it had become clear that the French were not just trying to, con to regain control of the island, but they wanted to bring back slavery. Right? And the former slaves uh, were, were up in arms. And what follows was just a brutal, brutal war back and forth in 1803, uh, 1802-1803 with mass atrocities on, on both sides. I mean, this was a desperate, desperate military campaign. Um, uh, but by, by the end of, of 1803, uh, you know, in particular, uh, you know, as the British come back uh, onto the scene, they cut off French forces. Dessalines, who had you know, withdrawn uh, and, and gone over to the French, rejoins the Haitian slaves and pushes the French out. 
so at the end of 1803, Dessalines proclaims the independence of a, for, uh, of a former colony, and this is when it takes its new name derived from the original Indian inhabitants, Haiti. Now, the success of, success of the Haitian Revolution sent shockwaves throughout slave societies of the New World. For the first time in, in history, a slave revolt had culminated in the total defeat of white forces. Although he died before Haitian independence, Toussaint Louverture's story, it became a legend. A black former slave had shown that he could defeat the best white generals out with the most skillful white politicians. Haiti became the first former European colony where people of color succeeded in overturning slavery and racial inequality. At the same time, Toussaint left a mixed legacy to Haiti's black population. The very inegalitarian society he created, based on rule by a military caste, left a long-lasting imprint on the country's social structure. He did not succeed in overcoming the divisions between the lighter-skinned descendants of mixed-race groups and the mass of the population. Right? Conflicts between these groups have marked much of Haiti's subsequent history. Haiti has also had a long struggle to overcome the hostility of the outside world, starting with the French demand for an indemnity, a demand that Haiti pay for the destroyed property of the plantation system. The United States did not even recognize Haiti as a sovereign nation until 1862, and many Haitians still have bad memories of the long period of American military occupation from 1915 to 1934. So despite Haiti's small size, the Haitian Revolution 1791 to 1804 was a major event in world history. It posed the question of what it would mean if people of color insisted that the promises of freedom made by the American and French revolutions also applied to them. Saint-Domingue shows that uh, it took special conditions for a slave revolt to succeed in the New World. Slaves outnumbered whites in Saint-Domingue by more than 10 to 1. Even so, their superior military technology enabled whites to control the colony until the French Revolution divided those whites amongst themselves and turn the mixed race population against them. In that context, Toussaint's success depended heavily on his ability to play the different white powers off against one another. So understanding these conditions, the conditions that allowed the Haitian Revolution to succeed where others didn't, I think helps us understand what factors allowed the white slave owners in the American South and elsewhere to keep power for so long and what conditions made it possible for them ultimately to be overthrown.